You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Hi everyone, welcome once again to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. Anne Moses was editor at Tiger Beat magazine from 1966 to 1972. The magazine grew to be the hottest teen magazine in the US. She became an instant Elvis fan on seeing him for the first time on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1956. She sat on the edge of the stage during taping of Elvis's 1968 NBC TV special. She toured Elvis's and Colonel Parker's offices and attended Elvis's opening show on July 31st, 1969 at the International Hotel Las Vegas. Anne then had the ultimate experience of meeting Elvis at the press conference that followed the show. I'm delighted to say Anne joins me on the show to tell me more. Hi Anne, and welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I suppose the first thing I could ask you to share with our listeners is where you were born and where you, where you grew up. Oh, okay. I was born in Long Beach, California. And when I was 10 years old, my dad moved us, uh, I don't know, 20 miles south to uh, Anaheim, California. And most people recognize that name because about six months after we moved into our our brand new house which which they had cleared the orange groves to build uh it was announced in the local paper that uh walt disney was building a an amusement park two miles down from us so we kind of watched disneyland go up from from the scratch and then I got to work there as a teenager. It was really awesome. You've actually got a story about working at Disneyland, a very fascinating story, actually, if you can share that with us. I do. Um, I, I had gone in at 7 one day. The park opened at 8, and uh, I was the called lead counter girl because I worked at Sunkist, I presume, which was the... Um, we sold orange juice and lemonade, freshly made, and there was a, you know, fun orange squeezing machine that was always going. And um, and so occasionally, you know, while I was setting up and getting everything ready for the day, you know, other other employees that were at work would come over for a cup of coffee. But all of a sudden, I we were directly across from the Jungle Cruise ride. And so all of a sudden, these men walk up to the counter, and it's two supervisors who I was familiar with, and Walt Disney. Wow, Walt, Walt himself. I was, I, I was, yes. And the the thing is, I totally remembered when when you go to work at Disneyland, you have to go to Disneyland University, and it's just a it's a three day course. And they just, they teach you about his philosophy. You know, we never called the people that came into the park customers. They were guests. And and then the key thing was that Walt Disney believed that Disneyland should always be a first name organization. 
So you called everyone by their first name, whether it was the top supervisor to the lowliest, uh, well, you know, there were no low jobs at, at Disneyland. Even the street sweepers were paid well. But you called everybody by their first name. So in those classes, they told you, if you meet Walt Disney, you don't call him Mr. Disney. You called him Walt or Uncle Walt. So I was, of course, you know, kind of nervous, but I said, good morning, Uncle Walt, you know, what can I get for you? And he ordered a glass of orange juice. And and then I was so excited that he was there. I had written two articles for the employee newsletter. So I said, I wrote, I wrote two articles for the employee newsletter. You know, I was telling him very proudly. And he said, oh, you're a writer. And I didn't say too much. And I and then and then he said, well. You know, maybe maybe that will be what you're going to do in the future. He was just the sweetest man. You know, it was it was like your grandfather talking to you. When when you talked to him, he was just interested and there was there was just something magical about the person and and just before he left he said something to you didn't he which became your mantra he he said to you well keep it up Anne. that's it that's it <laughs> and and it was like you know at the time i just thought man he's being so nice but i really i had no idea at that point that it would be going anywhere you know i i was working on my college newspaper but you know it just it it seemed like a pretty big dream Hmm. and so that it and then it would just came full circle when i started working at tiger beat when i started writing for new musical express yeah it was just like you know, this is just a dream come true. You started working for Tiger Beat in 1966. Right. And I was I was in my uh, second semester of my second year of college, and I had kind of talked my uh, marketing class teacher into letting me do this internship. Um, and so I was going up there and working 20 hours a week, and I was getting credit in my marketing class. Um, you know, I had to write a thesis at the, at the end, but uh, so it, it, it three days a week, I was driving up there and spending the day and, and all of a sudden, you know, here I'd been just going to my local community college and, you know, still living with my parents and everything. And all of a sudden I was driving up to Hollywood and just going you know, out on interviews in Hollywood and going to clubs. And it was, I don't know, it's like my life turned upside down um, in just a moment. My publisher had been sent me on tour with Dino, Josie and Billy and Paul Revere and the Raiders. And it was like, I can't, I can't leave this right now. (laughs) So College just went by the wayside, and I got a totally different type of education over the next few years. It was um, 
which was, you know, 99% fun mixed in with a, you know, a good job. And, you know, I, I was learning things all the time. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was good times. And then you, you got a call one day in 1968. Now, you, you, you were an Elvis fan from the early days. Is that correct? Uh, yes, of course. When he first came on Ed Sullivan, my family watched the Ed Sullivan show every Sunday. It came on at 6 o'clock at night. And, and so that was the night that we didn't sit around the family dining room table. We had TV trays. And it was the one day my mom didn't cook home-cooked meals. We either got pizza and she would make a salad or uh, we would have Pink's Hamburgers. There was a hamburger joint uh, just a mile down the road. And um, my dad would go and get burgers and fries. And the and so that was, that was kind of our family thing that we'd sit and watch Ed Sullivan. We'd eat our, you know, special to us dinner. And, um, and then the night that Elvis came on, it was just my brother and I, cause my brother was 18 months older and we were both just, this guy is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I somehow managed to go out and buy don't be cruel. So I was definitely one of those early Elvis fans asking my parents for an Elvis skirt for Christmas, but I didn't get it because my mom made all my clothes and it was like, they, they just, you know, they weren't going to buy me a store-bought skirt. Um, but then as soon as I was so busy with junior high school and going into high school, and then when all of us in, in high school heard that first Beatles record, it's like Elvis just really fell by the wayside. I mean, you know, the whole world was was kind of agog over the Beatles and the British invasion. And I was certainly part of that mob because it was it was just so new, so exciting. And not that Elvis was, you know, not the incredible star he was. But, you know, when he came back from the army and he started making movies, I just I just didn't have any interest because I thought they were pretty corny. But all that did change in 1968. Yeah, well, t- t- tell me, you, you must have been thrilled to get this telephone call in 1968. If you'd like to tell our listeners about that. Well, it's, the thing is, uh, I, had, I had made a contact because, you know, I learned very early on in Hollywood that, that you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So when a publicist would call and say, oh, I've got this new group, would you come interview them? You know, trying to get them publicity, trying to get them in Tiger Beat. It would be like, you know, if, if I was familiar with that publicist and I wanted to, you know, keep that nice rapport going, I'd go, yeah, sure. And um, so this is what happened with Grayland Landon, who was uh, head of uh, – publicity for RCA records and he he had tried to to get me interested in Elvis again basically he said you know I I think you'd find it really interesting if you'd go out to MGM studios and see Elvis's office so it was like 
okay, I'll do that for you, you know. And, of course, I went, and what I found was, you know, I was like, oh, this is a favor. I'm not really that interested. But you walk into Elvis's office, and I had never, ever been in a place like that. It was like a three-room office, kind of a big main office, and every square inch of the entire place, the walls, the floor, the ceiling, were all Elvis. They had basically been wallpapered in every publicity photo, movie poster, uh, you know, it, it just, there wasn't one square inch that was bare, and it was just, I mean, it was like a natural wonder, you know, you're just looking around, you're going, this is so incredible. <laughs> and and so Graylin continued to send me, whenever a new movie would be released, he would send me tickets. And I really wasn't interested in going, so I gave them to my close friend um, who was a big Elvis fan. And, but... And and then the other thing, the other bit of rapport that I gained with Graylin, who was a just a really nice uh, young man, uh, he said he said, "Oh, I'd like you to do me a favor," and he said, "I'd like you to come meet this new artist that we have," and he introduced me to Harry Nielsen, and you know. I just enjoyed talking with Harry so much. He was so different. I mean, he was the last thing you'd think of as a pop star or a singing star or anything else. You know, he had been a banker. He had been married. And and he was, you know, a few years older than I was. But he was just such an interesting person to talk to. So, you know, Graylin appreciated me starting to write about Harry. And then he did call me and he said, I have some tickets to, to a show and you need to go to it. And he really didn't elaborate. He wasn't going to give away, you know, what this was about or anything else. And I just said, okay, if, you know, I'm taking your word for it. And then when I get there, I get over to Burbank Studios and 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 I'm in line to see Elvis live, and they were taping the comeback special. And of course, I didn't know what to expect from the outside. They they lead us in, and and there were only I'd say probably a hundred people at most because there was a small area of of like grandstands beside that that little square stage that everybody's familiar with and I got led to my seat and I ended up in the the top to the last row and I took my friend that was the crazy Elvis fan and uh, his name was Tony and so we sat down and we're both kind of agog you know it's like oh what's gonna happen and isn't this so cool and and you know you were really aware of how intimate the setting was. And so then toward the end, I mean, before they had started the show, in comes Priscilla Presley. And of course, I had only seen pictures of her with her beehive hairdo and everything. 
Well, this was the new um, the new woman, and she had her hair down, and it was long, and not you know not straight straight like was really popular with all the hippies at the time, mm-hmm. but just just these soft little curls, and oh my, she was so stunning. So she sat directly behind us, and her knees were actually bumping into Tony's back and he was just kind of elbowing me going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. This is, <laughs> you know, Priscilla Presley's knees are in my back. And, you know, we, we honestly, we, we thought that, you know, we, he had already reached the pinnacle of, of how great that evening could be. Yeah. But then, uh, I think they showed a clip of, of, from the show while they, we were waiting for Elvis to come out. But then they introduced Elvis and, well, not yet. First, they said, okay, we're filming this segment down on this little, I don't know, it was probably 10-foot square little platform. And, um, and they introduced him and out he came in black leather head to toe. And, you know, he was so slim then. And, I mean, it was like sex on a stick. <laughs> it was, you were just going, I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. I can, and, I can imagine. And then they asked people to, they, they chose people. They said, we want people sitting on the stage because there were two steps up to the little platform. So there are two rows that people could sit. And lo and behold, the, as the guy is coming up the stairs and pointing to different people, he chose me. And I'm just going, no way. I can't believe it. And there I am down on the stage. And when Elvis came out and started singing those songs, uh, uh, you know, the standing up ones, the ones where he's sitting down with the guys, I mean, I was like five feet away and it was just, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced because, you know, yeah, it was exciting to meet all these pop stars and stuff, but it's kind of, it was instant that you got that this was Elvis Presley looking better than he had ever been in his entire life. And the first time he began to sing, it was just so overwhelming because that amazing voice from a few feet away, I mean, it was perfect. His voice was just perfect. And I, I was just, I was kind of like in a trance the whole time. And because I was, you know, down there on the stage, and then the real kicker was when it came on TV, I saw myself in the video. And I mean, I couldn't even believe it. And the best thing was when he sang my favorite song of his in the whole wide world, Can't Help Falling in Love. And that was the final number of the show. The film editors cut me in and superimposed Elvis singing with me looking up at him. 
So I have some shots of the TV screen of me and Elvis, you know, with him superimposed, you know, next to me. And it's like, I, I couldn't even believe that I was captured as part of that iconic show. So if, if anybody wants to check out uh, this particular part, it's when he's singing Can't Help Falling in Love, you are shown alongside Elvis on the lap dissolve, sort of the mix on the screen. Yes. There. And it's just, um, that's one of the pictures I will send you. Okay. And it was, but I mean, you know, who would have expected that mm. after this amazing night of watching the filming and it went on for several hours and then, and then to end up in the fit, finished product, it was just, it was mind blowing. And, and recently I, I, I've been in contact with a, a, a very uh, nice young man in, in the UK. I can't remember what town he lives in, but we have corresponded and he sent me pictures of, of he and his wife, you know, they've come over to the United States, but he recently, um, I don't know if he got the DVD or if it was shown on TV over in the UK, the the comeback special oh yes yes and we do. he sent me he sent me new screenshots and and uh, i'll share those with you because they are shots that i never was able to capture uh when it was on tv and there are other shots of me with elvis in the shot and and they're just i mean all these years later and and i'm seeing something new it was it's really something well, it actually gets better than that, doesn't it? Because if we were to fast forward, what, another 14 months to the end of July <laughs> 1969. Now, you, you were on your honeymoon in July 1969. Is that correct? Uh, well, so to speak. <laughs> um, I, had gotten, I had gotten married the, the Saturday before. I, I think it was July 26th. But we had decided... We knew, uh, well, it, the thing is that in June, I had received, yeah, now you're, now you're sparking my memory. In June, I had received a letter from the uh, head of, of public relations at uh, the, the International Hotel, and it was inviting me and a guest to the opening of Elvis's first live appearance in 10 years. And so we said, that's going to be our honeymoon. And so I think it was a Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, but August 1st, 1969. Uh, and we, you know, the place was just electric because everybody there, oh, I don't even know how they gathered the whole audience for that first show. But I remember Cary Grant was there and, you know, there were lots of celebs, but we were like everybody else kind of waiting in line to, to go through the, the front doors. And the maitre d' seated me right down front, you know, one of the, one of the one, seats right at the stage. And, I mean, I was going, what's happening? I can't believe this. And, and there I am. And... Saw that show, 
was like nothing else I've ever seen in my life. This was this was not the Elvis of the Gold LeMay days and the young, you know, the, the young boy that was, you know, breaking girls' hearts. It was this man. I mean, I think Elvis was only in his very early 30s at that point in time. And even though all the hippies might have been saying, don't trust anyone over 30, and, and in general, we thought 30 was really old, there was nothing old about Elvis. I mean, he was just, he was so stunning. And that night he wore his all black outfit. And I think the next night it would be his white one. But anyway, uh, he just, he commanded the stage. Everybody there just couldn't believe it. And no one had ever seen anything like it because you you can't duplicate Elvis as a singer. And this was a new Elvis in the way of performing, the way he was doing karate kicks and the way, he, the what I didn't expect is the way he would joke with the audience. Yeah. You know, he would say things like, well, you might remember this one. <laughs> And then he, you know, yeah. and then he'd go one for the money, yeah. two for the show. He, he, uh, he, he always had a great rapport with the audience. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. And I just, you know, it, it, it just, it hadn't been that intense at any, you know, I'd seen a number of shows by then, you know, the, the Rolling Stones I'd photographed you know, Mick Jagger from two feet away. And, and I'd seen the Beatles at the Hollywood bowl and everything, but the, the Elvis is just an entity all to his own. There's no one that compares. There's no one that did what he did in the way of, of embracing the audience and, and just, just, being able to hear that voice live was like nothing else I'd experienced. Now you you were working for the New Musical New Musical Express at the time, where you you were sending articles about Elvis over to the New Musical Express in England. Is that correct? Yeah, that that was part of of my, you know, working my way into Elvis's world. You know, through Graylin, is that that I would he would often let me know different things so I could send news over because, you know, Elvis had never appeared over there. And, you know, he has so many fans worldwide that, you know, I just saw, Oh, well, this is a good way to make money. (laughs) (laughs) Sending over articles and being paid for them. I mean, not bad, but it was also, it was an outlet to really write what I was feeling because I kind of felt like, you know, Tiger Beat did print some of my stories because it was easy. They were already done and they had the content and, and, but Tiger Beat was a a teen fan magazine and Elvis didn't exactly fit that mold, but at the same time, because of me, there were articles on Elvis and Tiger Beat. And, uh, and it turns out they were appreciated, but 
just before the show was about to end, Graylin came over to, to my chair and said, there's a press conference after the show. And they hadn't told anybody this. And he said, so get right over to room da 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 um, right after the show. So when it, it when the show did end and everybody was they it's not like they were in a rush to get out of there. Everybody was kind of stunned and they were just hanging out and conversing and and sharing the emotions. That's 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 what was going on within the whole showroom, which I'd never seen that dynamic before either. But I made my way out the door, I made my way, got in the front row of the press conference. And so then Elvis comes walking in with his dad, with the colonel, and he he just he was so at ease. It was just I mean, it was like in his mind, it's like I killed it. I I knocked it out of the park and there was no humble southern boy. You could tell he was really proud of what he had done. And so he answered questions and and really gave us some insight because nobody sat down and interviewed Elvis. It just didn't happen. So that you would get this bit of insight. And again, throughout the press conference, he was making jokes. And you just got to see another side of him. So when the uh, so at the end of the press conference, they just said, "If you'd like to have a picture with Elvis, get in line." Well, I was in the front row, so needless to say, my husband and I we got right in line. And then there's you know a handful of pictures of of me with Elvis. You know, one I'm looking up at him like, "Oh, you're a god." Yes. I'm uh, I'm actually I'm fam- I'm familiar I'm familiar with that picture you are you're kind of gazing up at him yeah. and he's he's looking off to his left and it's it's a very delightful picture oh, yes. Do you remember what Elvis said to you can can you remember what he said to you that night Uh you know I I believe I said your show was amazing or something and he said thank you very much <laughs> And that was about it because there were a line of people mm. so I really there was a handful of words spoken and that was it. But just knowing that I was going to have that, that memory picture. And of course one turned out really good where, where, you know, I'm not looking at him like a fangirl. I'm just looking up <laughs> with admiration. And I mean, it's, it's just been, you know, that, that, that was captured was really great. And then directly after that, I had to go up to the room and write my story and send it airmail first thing the next morning to the UK. So I was up till all hours. Now, a lot of people have, have, have uh, we've seen transcripts of the uh, press conference, but we've never heard audio recordings. And all we, we're, we're all led to believe that nobody actually had a tape recorder in that room during the press conference that, that evening, which is kind of strange. Yes, but I certainly didn't. Mm. And, uh, but, but I took furious notes and I wrote it up um, 
I can't remember what I did for the NME, but I, I know in Tiger Beat, I wrote it up as an interview. Okay. You know, and I don't know if that's cheating, but it was like, I, I want, because he was that candid during the, the interview that, that I just put it in that format. But I, I'm pretty sure I, I covered most of the, uh, the topics mm. and, and describing his demeanor and everything. Yeah. Uh, then we get to the next morning. And of course, it was kind of like after seeing the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, my, my teenage self said, I've got to meet these guys. And it was like, oh, you know, if only I could take pictures. That would just be so amazing because, no, of course, no cameras were allowed. And um, I think there are very few of that, that first night's shows. So he had two shows the next night as he would go on and do an eight o'clock show and a midnight show that was cocktails only. And so I went to um, the publicist's office and I said, I would just really like to get pictures. Is there any way, you know, you allowed me to do that? And he said, well, I'll let you go up in the balcony for the 12 o'clock show and you can shoot pictures. And I thought, oh, this is the ticket. So I'm calling all over Las Vegas, you know, and of course it's 115 or 116 outside. And uh, certainly my car didn't have air conditioning in those days. In fact, I was driving a Volkswagen Beetle at the time. And I found, uh, I had taken my, my regular, my Nikon camera with me, but I certainly didn't have a super long lens. So I found a store that had a 200 millimeter lens. I rented it. I, we went to that late show. I mean, first we went to Ike and Tina Turner in the, uh, the lounge because it was free to see Ike and Tina Turner and the Iquettes, if you can imagine. Mm -hmm. You just had to buy two drinks. Yeah. And then, okay, so then we went to the 12 o'clock show and he wore a white jumpsuit that night. And I shot pictures from the balcony and, you know, they're through the long lens. I was balancing on the edge, mm -hmm. but I got some, you know, what to me were some really great pictures. And, um, the problem was, you know, I had to take the film to be developed because I shot color slides and it was like, well, I shot these with a 200 millimeter lens. It was probably this distance, you know, and they had to figure out how to develop the film to make sure I was getting the most out of them. Yeah. So after giving them all the descriptions, and this was, a, you know, a Hollywood film lab that did things for studios. And luckily they turned out great. And and so I, I still have those to this day. I, I would I would love I would love to see those. I really would. Yeah, yeah. They're like sixty slides, and and I've I've sold a you know a handful of those to um, when they've been doing uh, you know different live albums of Elvis from you know other performances and things like that, mm -hmm. but. Pretty much, they they're just uh, you know my little treasure. Yeah. And uh, 
So it, it, it was just, it was, you know, it was one, you know, one cherry after another on top of the Sunday. It just got better and better. That's all for now. Thanks to Anne for joining me on the show today. Coming up in the next part, more cherries on the top of the Sunday as Anne tells me more Elvis stories, including her appearance in the 1970 documentary movie Elvis, That's the Way It Is, and getting kissed by him during one of his live shows. I hope you can join me next time for another episode from Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel.